You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Mitchell Trubisky is named the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears as they get set to take on the Detroit Lions in just one week's time. I bring on Bears Over Beers host Jeff Burkus to talk through the decision with me on this episode of Bear With Me. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, right here on the Windy City Gridiron podcasting channel, where there are plenty of shows to fit all of your fancy, and who, one of whose host, the Bears Over Beers host, Jeff Burkus, is here with me today to talk through the most recent Bears news that has hit I, I don't know what we'd call it, the market, the open airwaves, but Mitchell Trubisky has been recently named the Bears' starting quarterback, certainly to my surprise, and I think that that's something worth talking through. So I've grabbed a cool-headed Jeff to come through and talk to me because I'll tell you what, Jeff, and I'll start on this spot. I know this is ridiculous to a lot of people, but I actually think that naming Mitch Trubisky the starter and going with what I can only assume is the short leash plan at worst. And at best, of course, he'll finish the season, and I certainly hope he does. I'll talk more about that in a second. But this makes that fourth-round pick that Ryan Pace gave up for Nick Foles' contract and Nick Foles the player look really, really different, in my opinion, because I'll leave it simply at this. When the Bears traded a fourth-round pick for Nick Foles, I thought the only way that made sense from a valuation standpoint is that he was, in theory anyways, the most offensive-ready starting-level player. Low-level starting player, absolutely. It's not as if I think that this guy's amazing. But at least what you would be getting with Nick Foles is somebody that you could plug and play with an incredibly limited camp. And given that the competition only lasted for about two and a half weeks, it's about as limited as limited gets. Now that he's not starting, I'm definitely a little lost. Because if you wanted a backup quarterback that had some system experience, you could have gone with Andy Dalton, who, according to Bill Lazor and some offenses we saw in Cincinnati, he'd run plenty of RPOs and West, Co or West Coast-like systems. If you wanted somebody with read experience specifically, Matt Moore was on the market. If you wanted basic white guy starter, you could go with Case Keenum. And if you wanted MVP experience, Cam Newton was right there. You even could have gotten multiple of these guys. Matt Moore plus Newton. Uh, Dalton and Newton. I mean, there, there were options here, and I know you've talked about this at length. Am I crazy here? Because the valuation of this trade really shifts when it turns out you you traded a fourth-round pick and took on $24 million guaranteed at a minimum, assuming escalators don't happen, for a backup quarterback. What do you think? Well, Robert, thanks for having me on the show. And excited to be back and excited to see you pumped up about this move because 
I would say that I, I did a thing where I revisited my Twitter timeline, which is always kind of an interesting thing to see what your thoughts were in the moment. And so I went back to the middle of March when the Bears made this trade. And I was, I would say, about as angry as I ever get on Twitter about a Bears move. And it's certainly not about the person because Nick Foles seems like a stand-up guy. But the move itself did not make sense to me at the time because if you saw the quarterback market and you just went through a lot of the names, we'll add Teddy Bridgewater to that list, there were a lot of quarterbacks with starting potential that you could have gone after that were on the open market or waited for those guys to get on the open market. And to understand that a team like Jacksonville, who is looking to probably unload a lot of their players and clear the cap space, take a take a tough year in the standings to hopefully get a high pick to go after a guy like Trevor Lawrence or whoever's going to be the top quarterback in the rookie class next year, they don't want Nick Foles on their roster. And so to have to give up capital to acquire that guy with a massive contract um, seemed like a, a really bad idea at the time. And you could just make a smarter decision in free agency and keep some of that money. And that that money is important because that can sign other players and, and can fill other holes. And the Bears missed out on some opportunities, I think, to plug some holes in spots that I think we're going to potentially see be issues this year. So all of that ties in. It's all coming from the same pot of money. But you really tie your hands when you're saying, like, no, we're going to go out and get Nick Foles. We're going to not pick up the Mitchell Trubisky fifth-year option. So you're telling people that are listening what you think about Mitchell Trubisky in the offseason, and that is he's not the future, and we're going to go out and we're going to get a guy that we are saying the best case scenario is he is the guy that will run step in and run this offense from a cerebral standpoint. We know that he can come in mentally and run this offense because it's a close cousin to the Philadelphia Eagles offense. They both come off of the same tree with Andy Reid in Kansas City. And so this is the guy on paper that we think is going to do best. And then when you run through this quarterback competition, which, as you mentioned, was a very short competition, uh, obviously Mitchell Trubisky had some advantages by having the experience of throwing to those wide receivers. This is his fourth year in the system. It does seem like maybe the thumb was on the scale a little bit, but I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist. I never really took a side in terms of wanting one or the other. I'm not saying you wanted one or the other either, but there are plenty of people out there, in the, especially in our Twitterverse, that sort of took sides. And I, 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 I'm not like that. I think both will play at some point. They both had injury, checkered injury histories. So whoever came out on top of this, I kind of expected to see the other one. And I think Matt Nagy's done what he needed to do in terms of uh, handling two guys who are professional quarterbacks who um, have egos and neither one blew him out of the water. And so he chose the guy that he thought was going to give him the best chance to win in week one because of all of the reasons we talked about. Nick Foles may not have had enough of a runway to get up to speed and and have a fair shot at knocking out Mitchell Trubisky. But let's also give Mitchell Trubisky some credit. He apparently came in and he looked like he had improved on some things that Nagy needed him to work on. Whether or not that he thought that he had a chance to actually come out and win this job or whether he was auditioning for another team next year or whatever he thought, doesn't really matter. He did what he needed to do to take snaps under center in week one in Detroit. And so I guess my my thinking is that the move was bad when it happened. And I haven't changed my mind about the Nick Foles trade 
because he's now the backup, I think that he will still play a significant role on this team in 2020, even if he's starting off on the bench. That makes sense. And certainly that would have been fair criticism. I had spun the move into a positive under the understanding that it was a fourth round pick, which was, and I think this is important, the third highest pick that the Bears had in that year. It went second round, second round, fourth compensatory, because it is like, it's like a super late fourth round pick, to be totally fair, and then straight to the fifth round. So we traded our third highest pick at the time in a draft where we needed bodies. We needed to be able to pick talented players to fill holes that are cracking at the moment a little bit. But getting off of the Nick Foles valuation, I'll certainly tell you that I'm up front. I wanted Foles. And I think I have some fair reasons for it, but they're primarily because if I could just lay it out there directly, I don't think there's enough reason to believe in Mitchell Trubisky at this point to play him. That's just my opinion. It, it's very similar to the idea that Jacksonville ought to have moved on from Bortles, playoff run be darned. It's very similar to the idea that if Marcus Mariota was going to get a short leash, maybe they should have just played Ryan Tannehill. And that one, that second example, that is hindsight. Because we didn't think Ryan Tannehill was going to play at near the level that he did. That was, as I remember it, kind of a competition option, but also Ryan Tannehill hadn't had a healthy season in quite some time and hadn't looked particularly good. Marcus Mariota was the easy choice there. What I think makes things strange for Mitchell Trubisky is that there is an awful lot of big data that suggests that unless a quarterback fundamentally changes who he is as a player, which we don't usually see at the NFL level, who he is after his third year often defines who that player is going forward. Jared Goff, as we know him, really fabulous football thrower, can read defenses at a basic level, but as both the Bears and New England showed, if you put a really tough defense in front of him, a lot of times he'll crumple. In Trubisky's case, uh, I love personally combining what I see on film with data, and I'll use Football Outsiders from their 2020 Almanac. I'll read you the list of players that, according to them, are most similar to Mitchell Trubisky, and you can tell me what you think of them. Because going by 2017 to 2019 career arcs, in which the first year was not good, in their case a negative DVOA, the second year was a market improvement on the first one, in their case, whether it's positive or only slightly negative, it's an improvement, and then a third year that went back down the other way towards a more negative DVOA, Mitchell Trubisky is most similar to Drew Bledsoe from New England, who was a success story, but then Mark Sanchez, Tony Banks of the St. Louis Rams, Charlie Batch of Detroit, Christian Ponder of Minnesota, Josh Freeman of Tampa Bay, Marcus Mariota of Tennessee, Kyle Baller of Baltimore, Joey Harrington of Detroit again, and Blake Bortles of Jacksonville. When I look at that, I think that there's a lot of reason to be skeptical of that list. Let's just take that as a 9 out of 10. That means that there's a 10% chance that Trubisky turns into a Drew Bledsoe-like career, with the trouble being that Bledsoe was a total stone-footed pocket quarterback that read the field and launched the ball, which you would think maybe situations around him could change, like offensive line protection, very similar to Foles. While Trubisky is more a mobile, short-reading, uh, short-throwing kind of quarterback that, with his issues reading the field, 
you wonder how much that could really improve in a season. I don't know. I think that there are a lot of reasons to be skeptical, especially when the only person that I know who was at camp, Zach Pearson, who I talked to last week, said that Foles actually had the edge on him even in that two and a half weeks, though not by much, and both were disappointing. Hearing that Mitchell Trubisky was disappointing at all from people who were at camp, maybe it has me rattled, maybe I'm just paranoid, but I really don't like hearing that about a starting quarterback that doesn't have a contract for 2021 and who, if he plays well, which is an ambiguous number, is supposed to be due the franchise tag. What do you think? <laughs> well, you know, it's it's interesting because I think one of the things that you'll hear people say is that, well, you know, his first year doesn't really count because it was under John Fox and he didn't really play the whole year. And John Fox tried to hide him in bubble wrap and, and you know, he had seven passes in, in one game against Carolina. And so can you really count that year? And, oh, by the way, like he really only had one year of starting experience in college. And so he really doesn't have a lot of reps. And so you really just have to give him a lot of time, Robert. Like there's really only two real years that uh, of, of football experience. And you got to give him the longer runway to, to to show what he has. And and that maybe that's true. But that tells me that he should not have been selected in the first place at the draft position that he was selected at because he had competition. I, we don't need to get into the other two guys, but that's Let's why them you don't the take a guy with only one year of college experience. And my my podcast partner, EJ Snyder, again, famous for calling <laughs> the shot. And and he would he would probably disagree with me as to my feelings about that particular issue, but I would like to see more starting experience from a college person. And, you know, and I'm, and I'm on Twitter talking about, let's take Trey Lance who probably just lost his potential second start, starting year uh, with, with the, the college football season being canceled to COVID and maybe he, he declares anyway. But uh, so I'm, I'm probably like talking like a hypocrite right now, but but I, I, I never really thought that that decision made sense. And you see why, because he has uh, trouble with so many things. And so when you see Mitchell Trubisky from 2019, which was in stark contrast to at least the results from 2018, one of the things is that coaches figured him out. They got enough tape and they realized that if we just throw a lot of coverage uh, changes, variations at him, he's going to struggle. And that's the source of that, I don't remember the exact quote or who said it from the Packers, but after uh, that first week last year, there was a Packers guy in the, the secondary that said, we just needed to make him play quarterback and we knew that we could beat him. And I think what that's saying is, well, we just needed to, to have him sit in the pocket and try to read the defense and we don't feel confident that he can do that. And so that's a real hit to the mental processing part of the game. You look at the good games that he's had, it's been up against Matt Patricia's Lions defenses, who are stubborn and stick in one coverage. It's been against the Buccaneers defense that sat in in one zone coverage the entire game. And so, you know, he hasn't shown that mental progression in terms of hitting his second read or understanding what the defense is in. You have done more work than just about anybody on that exact issue for this exact player. So you have a runway to talk about that. I think there's also the mechanical issues that we've, you know, th there's a lot of people that actually know quarterback play a lot better than you or I who have, who have pointed to better. some of these, to some of these mechanical issues that he, that he's shown on tape over the years. Apparently he's gone ahead and tried to fix some of those mechanical issues in the off season. Great. Good to hear. 
And then you hear some of the health issues, um, like some muscle imbalance stuff that he was trying to correct. And then, of course, the shoulder issue that may have prevented him from running and, and being that dynamic athlete that, that he honestly is. He's a really good runner of the football. And so you're, what, what I'm thinking is, if you believe that Mitchell Trubisky is going to take that big step, he needs to fix or at least take significant strides in the mental aspect of the game, fixing the mechanical issues, and be fully healthy. And that's a tough trifecta to pull off in one offseason. He basically has to be a top 12 quarterback to be worth that franchise tag. I understand that the Bears are the only team in the NFL's long history to not have a 4,000-yard passer, which actually, to to say long history and 4,000-yard passer, not totally fair. Passing really only exploded over the last couple of years. Even so, I get that to a lot of Bears fans, you know what, maybe if we have the 16th, or 15th or 17th best quarterback in the NFL, maybe we could pay him big money anyways because the Bears' history at quarterback is just so bad. And look, maybe this is going to sound pessimistic. I actually think it's optimistic. The Bears ought to expect more out of their quarterback, especially with a pass-friendly offense like the West Coast offense is intended to be. But I don't want to get too far off into what-if land. I want to talk more about just how many things Mitch Trubisky potentially needs to improve on. And I don't know how weird I've seen them be over time because, look, I've not been a Bears fan for as long as plenty, only about 12 now going on 13 years. But that meant that I saw all eight years of Jay Cutler and I watched him. I watched this guy who seemed to be a really outstanding quarterback that plenty of times he had accuracy issues. Gosh, could he throw the heck out of a fastball. But one of the more... I'd say at the end of the day, career or career ending issues that he seemed to have is Jay Cutler had a penchant for just missing a standing underneath defender. He would, whether it was a post route or a slant route or go routes, I'm sure you remember this, Jeff. If there was a defender who wasn't moving, Jay might just miss them all together and throw directly into their hands. A Clay Matthews interception sticks out in my mind as one of the particularly nasty ones later in his career. And this never changed. And that's because, in my opinion, once you get to the NFL, you are at the top level of football. The human brain as a quarterback is being pushed to its absolute limit. You have to track a pocket which has Trey Flowers, Khalil Mack, Robert Quinn, all these phenomenal pass rushers coming to get you in a group of four, maybe five, maybe even six, depending on blitzes. And you need to know beforehand how they're probably going to attack you, confirm after the snap, while watching a team of the best athletes the world has to offer, defend your passing attack in man coverage, zone coverage, whatever it is. Your brain is on And there are only so many guys that have been able to hack it at this level. And with it being as hard as it is, a lot of guys don't really get better. They get more comfortable, but they don't just go from not being able to read the difference between how to throw a disguised single high coverage that turns into too high. Uh, they, They don't go from not being able to do it to being able to do it. Most of the time they go from being able to do it slowly to being able to do it a little bit quicker. And in Trubisky's case, as I've gone through his tape, and I see this before his injury and after the injury, which is even scarier, it seemed as if he stopped running 
altogether in the Packers game and the uh, the Denver game. Never mind the Washington game. He didn't run the ball much, which was a big X factor in his 2018 play. I know you've talked about it and I'll let you talk about it, but it kind of feels like after he got hit by Harrison Smith in 2018, that part of his game just finger snap evaporated. And uh, that's that's not good because his running game is part of what made him as dangerous as he was and drew spies in terms of coverage. But also in that Packers game, we saw him throw into the wrong area of the field a lot where you'd get quarter zones. So that's four zones across, like sitting at the sticks, basically, with a too high shell up top. Most of the time, if you're third and 11 and you're running a bunch of routes uh, that are going to curl like they did against the Packers, Honestly, you don't really want to throw it to any of them. And if you are going to, you're going to need to use your eyes to move one of the defensive backs and then burn a ball through the hole that you create with your eyes. But Mitch instead almost threw an interception to Darnell Savage because the last place you want to be throwing in that setup is the middle of the field because it's it's kind of a bait, and Trubisky took the bait. The point isn't to blast Trubisky. That's really not my point. The point is to uncover rocks. Like, imagine pulling a rock up and there's a bunch of ants underneath. There are red flags all throughout the 2019 season, and basically all of them have to fix for Trubisky to hit that top 12 region that's worth the franchise tag. I hope he does. I'm more than willing to be wrong about this. I know what I've seen, and if I'm wrong, I'll do exactly what EJ's talked about and go back and figure out where I screwed up, and I'll become a better analyst for it. But at least based on what I'm seeing, there are some serious problems. It's not just, oh, he only threw for this many yards, but he needs to throw for that. This is a very complicated game. And there are a lot of things I think fans are expecting. Improvement in his accuracy. Improvement in his mental capacity. Ability to stand tall in a pocket made up of pretty much exactly the same linemen as he had at the end of the season last year. Just add Jermaine Afedi. I don't think the Bears' offensive line is going to be best in football this year. I don't think we're looking at a 2018 Philadelphia offensive line situation. So we need somebody who is going to be comfortable navigating an often dirty pocket. Maybe not bad outright, but definitely dirty. Like how Charles Leno has that, let's call it a nasty habit, just for discussion's sake, of allowing somebody to drive him <laughs> almost all the way back into the quarterback. Uh He's going to have to navigate that. He's going to be have to execute both short RPO reads and deeper downfield reads. He's going to be able or have to hit layups. I know there's one in, uh, there's a lot actually, but one that comes to mind is uh, there's a play from the Giants game that I saw only like a month ago where Montgomery breaks into the middle of the field and oh my goodness, he gets wide open about 30, he's at about the 30, that's where the snap happens. And Montgomery would have caught the ball at the five and trotted into the end zone, Devin Hester style, but the ball is about 10 yards too far forward. And whether it's anticipation issues in terms of where to throw the ball, whether it's leverage issues in terms of how to throw the ball, be it back shoulder, in front, or how far to lead a receiver, whether it is too high to one high, side to side reads, progression reads, RPO reads, single quick reads. It, it's felt like Trubisky has struggled at almost every single aspect of being a quarterback. And in 2018, I was, I was perfectly fine accepting that. I was willing to do what you talked about, to count the Fox year as year zero and 2018 as year one. But that meant I needed to see year two. We didn't get year two. It was a massive step back. And so here in his now year four, the only thing we can call it i don't know 
which logical path has me saying, yes, Trubisky has improved. I have faith in him. He's my quarterback as a Chicago Bears fan. I will be cheering for him. I don't think there's any reason not to. But with, De- with Detroit having a new defensive coordinator that they've actually given over play calling duties to, I actually am pretty excited to see him play against Detroit because I wouldn't be surprised if part of the reason Matt Patricia turned things over is because he wasn't disguising coverage. He's well known for not having disguised coverage almost at all. And here in this first week, I'll be darned if we don't see it because you can't in a season with Matthew Stafford against the Bears with them starting Mitch Trubisky not do that after losing to them four times in a row. Where am I getting this wrong, Jeff? I'm dumped a lot on you. <laughs> what are you thinking? You know, I, I as you were talking, I'm reminded of just the idea of craft and master craftsmen, right? And I'm not just talking about like carpenters or anything like that. If you listen to like Akeem Hicks in the film room session with Brian Baldinger really and how awesome many session, games go on with him and how he places his hands and you know how he swats away a punch and all these things. And you watch these elite pass rushers and how they'll set up moves and they'll do something in quarter one that they'll then cash in on in, in the fourth quarter. There's a craft element to all of the different positions in football. I'm sure even a punter could come on and talk about <laughs> the craft of how, how they kick different kicks, uh, different punts in a certain way, right? I'm, I, I'm less familiar with that aspect of the game. But quarterback is the master craft, right? It's the one that gets paid the most. It has the most tools in the toolbox that you have to develop. That thing that you mentioned about looking off a of safety, that's something that a quarterback has to learn how to do. That's just one tool, though, and you have to know how to use it, right? And so all of these little things that have to come into play, well, once they kind of figure out what it is that they need to take away from you and you're not going to hurt them on other things, defenses will react and they are going to sit in the coverages and sit in the defenses that are going to make them successful. And they're going to make you beat them until they change. And so everybody just copies the same model. That's why the Rams kind of looked like garbage last year because the Bears and eventually the the Patriots just showed everybody how to beat them. And so they don't know how to get out of that. And they've kind of exposed what Jared Goff is and how how you can limit him as as a passer. That's pretty much what's happened with Matt Nagy's offense with Mitchell Trubisky at the helm is that there's not a lot of things that he has done particularly well in 2019. Hopefully that changes in 2020. But again, a lot of these things have to change for him to improve. He has, he makes no one nervous throwing over the top, throwing deep. Like they will, they will push, a defense is going to push everybody up front uh, and sit on underneath routes. And they are not going to worry about Mitchell Trubisky throwing it over the top. And it's, it's fine if we get that rookie Mooney to run 40 wind sprints a game with, with uh, Ted Ginn running, you know, with him until he hits those deep routes with accuracy, they're not going to care. They're going to let him airmail those guys. And so if he doesn't run and he hasn't improved as a downfield passer and he can't read coverages, then it's a it's not going to go anywhere. It's, it's not going to go well. And the Bears have some very winnable games to start the year, and they need to get off to a fast start if they want to stack enough wins early for them to be in a position to make a playoff run. That couldn't be more accurate. And... Just to give you an example of how right you are, I won't go back to what Mike or 
week one's Mike Pettin called game that completely shut the Bears down and we only scored three points. I won't go back to 2017 where Darius Slay laughed at Mitchell Trubisky saying that uh, how dare this rookie test him. I won't go back to Tremont Edwards, I believe that's the name of the Packer who talked about how Mitch, they just needed to make Mitch play quarterback. I'll go back to somebody who, if we really think about it, kind of did the same thing to Jared Goff that he maybe did to Mitch Trubisky, and that's Vic Fangio. Vic Fangio, in week two, should have been the guy who knew how to beat Mitch Trubisky. And if you remember, Jeff, because I'll ask you, what did Matt Nagy do when it came to Mitch Trubisky in week two? Did it seem like he opened up the playbook, or did he seem like he made things really limited? You tell me. Oh, no, he really limited it. And you're darn right he did. Vic Fangio sat in what a lot of people would call a sticks defense the entire game. He had people in short zones, and a lot of them, so up to six guys stretching from the left side of the field to the right side of the field, sitting about eight to ten yards off the line of scrimmage, waiting for a throw. And it came. And the one time it didn't was when er, was when Trubisky rolled right and let a ball go to Tariq Cohen that, if you remember, was in one-on-one coverage, and Cohen had a, st- or had a step. I'm not about to blame Trubisky for that. That one fell incomplete, partially because of really good defensive effort, partially because it's an extremely hard throw, and I'm not about to say that's something I expect Trubisky to hit every time. That wasn't a layup. I have to make that really clear. But it kind of begs the question, if the Bears could have taken shots downfield, why didn't they? And Maybe it's because both the defensive coordinator on the other side and the offensive coordinator on his side knew that it wasn't going to go well, so why try? I have no idea. I'm not in the room. I just know that defenses started to cover everything short. I told you this before the show. I'll say it again now. Tariq Cohen on 90 receptions combined for 27 yards in total uh, total yards received from the ball coming to you. That means in terms of non-yak yardage, because he had about 440 yards receiving, 27 of those yards came from the actual passes themselves. That's compared to 210 yards from the year before in 2018 in his 700-yard receiving season. The Bears threw short a lot, and defenses defended them because of it. Now, where this really gets weird is, and I talked a little bit about the Week 1 matchup against Detroit, and where the starting decision really starts to not make sense to me is that in the world of a guy like Nick Foles, who, in terms of what we've seen in 2018, 2017, uh, even a little bit 2019, not 100% fair. He had broken his collarbone, typically a 10-week recovery, and he came back around like week nine and almost immediately got obliterated. Then Gardner Minshew got obliterated afterwards after a fabulous season. Jacksonville was a mess last year, and I'm not about to try to pretend that that's somehow to Foles' credit. That's a bad one. But he also won a Super Bowl and had a pretty good playoff run in 2018. So... You take the good with the bad. But if a guy like Foles was only going to get about two and a half weeks of live reps before he got named the starter, he would need, I think you'd agree, some pretty easy starter games. You don't want to throw him in there against the, uh, I'm trying to think of a really good defense, the no, Saints. The Niners. Or- the Niners. You don't want to throw him in there against the Vikings, a divisional rival that's got inside information, sure. or the Packers, or somebody with a heavy pass rush like that. You kind of want to throw him in there against, I'll just name some teams, and maybe you'll pick up on where I'm going with this. <laughs> the Lions, the Colts, the Giants, the Falcons, the Panthers. Teams hmm. that... I mean, the easiest team on the schedule might be late in the season with the Jacksonville Jaguars, but that early slate of games is 
pretty favorable. And if I was going to get a backup quarterback that could be a starter involved, I'd probably want him against that easy slate of the games that you could almost wink and pretend it's a preseason. Not really. But with the defense that the Bears have, you tend to hope that it doesn't take a ton of points to win those games because hopefully your defense is able to do some serious damage in those but instead it looks like Mitch Trubisky may be getting those games which is probably not what I would do especially not in a setting where they've spent so much money on Robert Quinn they've spent so much money on even guys like Danny Trevathan that are already on the team he's got a contract that kicks out to 2025 the Bears are all in they're pushing money out to make this year work and Mitch Trubisky is going to get the games that you have to think the Bears need to win when in the middle of their schedule, they have to go to L.A. again to play the Rams. They have to play the Saints. They have to play the Vikings. They have to play the Titans in Tennessee, I believe. They've got some really, really tough games starting around week eight. And the silver lining, Foles has done this before. In 2018, he came in, started against Los Angeles, and beat them in a tight game, set an Eagles record against uh, the Texans, in Philadelphia, which he needed to do because they only won at the last second. So, in theory, potentially Foles could bring them back. But if Mitch Trubisky drops some of these early games, that could be a death knell to a Bears season that needs every win it can get early. And I could go more into detail if you want me to, but what do you think? Well, I think what you're kind of talking around is this idea that the worst case scenario for the bears in 2020 is not for them to go three and 13 and have a top five draft pick in next year's no, draft because that actually, that actually nice. sets them up for a pretty obvious plan in taking a quarterback in the rookie draft and resetting that way. The, the worst thing that really can happen is that the bears kind of flounder to an eight and eight year that is exactly what happened last year and then you're in a position where are you going to keep Trubisky because he did a little better than 2019 or are you going to let him go you still have Nick Foles under contract so maybe you've made the move to Foles but you've basically pushed a lot of money in like you're a contender like you've pushed a lot of money into this year like you're the Saints have done which they are Leverage to the nth degree down in New Orleans. They are but all in. The Bears they are, are not quite that all in. all in. But that is down the path that, that the that the Saints are in. They're and pretty so close, pushed, to be totally fair. You've like, pushed a lot into this this season. And for you to not get a playoff berth, and, and honestly, to not get a division championship would be a disappointment with how much you've put in. Because the other teams in the division, the Vikings are doing kind of similar things. They've kind of pushed uh, a lot into this year. The The Packers, I'm not quite sure what the Packers have done with their offseason. It was a weird offseason where they kind of went both ways. Uh, and I and I think that that's going to cost them. And so it is a winnable division. But again, if you mess around with the easy games, and we know this from 2018, where there was a there was a dropped game against the Giants that shouldn't have been dropped that really cost them playoff seeding position. If you want to get far, start all the way back at week one. I'll just cut you off to say that you held Aaron Rodgers and a fireheaded yeah. Packers team to 10 points, and you lost the game. Right. You, you've got to pick up wins like that if you're trying to get to the playoffs. And as we saw, those wins really count by the end. Back to you. Yeah, yeah. I think I was mentioned 2018, but yeah, 2019 as well. Same same idea. All those wins matter. And 
you know, this isn't baseball. I mean, this isn't baseball in any other year but the COVID year where, uh, you know, they play 162 games. The NFL plays 16 games. So everything is big. And so it, I, you mentioned that it felt like you're gambling with games by, by trotting out Trubisky early, and that's not a very smart idea. I, I understand that mentality. I don't think I've really enjoyed picking between these two guys. And so maybe I'm just a little bit dead inside. Uh, and and have built those bears calluses that you you talked about offline, but um, I, I understand that this is something that is going to probably divide bears fans for the entire season, because I don't think that deep down anybody really truly feels like they have the quarterback of the future on the roster. Absolutely not. And I'll tell you to any bears fans that have made it to this point in the podcast. I am going to stop talking about Foles for as long as Trubisky's the quarterback. That's not fair. It's not fair to compare him to the ghost of somebody that isn't playing. I can only compare him to himself and other quarterbacks that are playing around the league. But what I will say is I think what scares me the most, and scares is the operative word, is that I saw what happened in Tennessee last year. And ultimately what made Tennessee make the move was that Marcus Mariota was having an up-and-down season, literally, he had a bad game, and then a good game, and then a bad game, and then a good game, and then a bad game, and then a bad game, and then a bad half, and then he was done. So it took two and a half games of consistent bad to get the hook for Ryan Tannehill, who then, if we use ANYA, that's air net yards per attempt, which basically takes all the yards a quarterback throws for, adds a little multiplier for touchdowns, takes away a little multiplier for interceptions. Go look up the formula. It's one of my favorite statistics because it is as unbiased as it gets. It's just numbers. And in terms of air net yards per attempt, Ryan Tannehill had the best season in football with eight and a half air net yards per attempt. A little over that, actually. He was the best. He was 0.2 yards better than anybody. And even then, the Titans just barely squeaked into the playoffs. They had to win that last game of the year to become a 9-7 and seven squad. What I think scares me, Jeff, is that while I like Foles as a player, I do. And you've heard me say that. Anybody's heard me say that. I've not really been quiet about it. I still don't think Foles is so good that he's also going to catch lightning in a bottle like Ryan Tannehill did last year and somehow do the same thing. The Bears need to be 4-2 and two coming out of the first six weeks of the season. That is, just to repeat it, Detroit, New York Giants, Atlanta Falcons, the Indianapolis Colts, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and Carolina Panthers. 6-0 and oh is possible. Not realistic. Six, asking for six wins in the NFL is asking for disappointment. But it's possible to win a bunch of those games for a whole lot of different reasons, and they need as many as they can get before the meat grinder that is the middle of their season comes around. I think that the that 10 and 6 should be the goal. Maybe not the expectation. A 9 and 7 seems like almost a fair expectation, but it does seem like it's the goal. And every time I think about this offense, I think about how many times everything seemed like it was going wrong. I think about how many times the protection up front seemed like it wasn't getting called correctly. I think about how many times a receiver was even open in the broadcast view and didn't get the ball correctly. I think about how many open layups we had, like the, the Gabriel out route that seemed to kill the Saints game in the first quarter. That was sad. 
the fact that it all came down to like one play that was a third and 17, not talking about that. The fact that the, the Gabriel long throw in San Diego, a couple of the Miller throws, like the potential touchdown against uh, the Rams. I think there was actually another one against the Saints. Maybe might be getting that game wrong. The point is, is that I look back at a lot of these games and I think, what if the quarterback was the most invisible person I've just about ever watched on a football field? What if the quarterback was able to give us a baseline, the, abil the ability to be kind of like Chase Daniel, but not near as clearly bad, just <laughs> kind of not there. And I know I'm thinking wishfully. I know I am. Uh, but Nick Foles throughout his career seems like he was able to do that. And we may yet get the chance to see it. It won't surprise me if we do. But at the end of the day, I will stick to this before I throw it back to you. I think the Bears needed to pick the best player and the one that they thought would finish the season. The, those are both key to me. If you think Mitch Trubisky, after the other guy has two and a half weeks of practice, has enough of an advantage to be technically winning, but maybe not enough improvement over that two and a half week stretch, like it looks as if Nick Foles is going to overtake him, then pick Nick, in my opinion. Because he'll get another week of practice, a game against Detroit, a game against New York, and most would call that sort of an elixir scenario. Back, or That's always what I heard my dad call it anyways. In this case, I worry that Mitch's leash is intrinsically a bad idea. That's like saying, I think this guy's going to fail eventually. Mm -hmm. Yes. But, but we're going to just let him do it. And I think the best option was to pick the guy who you were planning to put in anyways because you traded a fourth round pick for him and you weren't going to not play him. And that that's my opinion at the end of the day. Trubisky's leash, I'll just squeeze this into the podcast, could even be as long as eight games because going by the Mariota scenario, if he goes four and two, if he beats the Lions, beats the Giants, loses to the Falcons, beats the Colts, loses to the Buccaneers, beats the Panthers, loses to the Rams, then loses to the Saints and is finally done. That's eight games. If he gets a little more time because he went four and two, could be as much as nine or ten. And then what's the point of putting Foles in? You're, he's just going to hit some of his escalators and not be able to opt out. He has to play at least 50% of the snaps in a season for the Bears to cure him of the roster. I don't think Nick Foles is a pandemic or anything, but certainly if his uh, money gets any bigger, it could it could blow up into a big balloon of a problem. I don't know. I think there's I think there's a lot to this decision to be worried about and i'm not just trying to be some johnny Raincloud negative nelly i think mitch trubisky is not is less an offensive operator and more of an athlete but he's not a game defining athlete like lamar jackson like or, Mark, right. or debatably patrick mahomes or russell wilson back when he was a rookie because he could make some plays with his legs right it kind of feels like he's neither and for him to prove me wrong he'd have to look like a different person right. but I don't know. That's just where old Dowdy Robert is at. <laughs> well, you know, there's what you reminded me of with uh, with that last passage. There was another Robert, Robert Mays, uh, on one of his podcasts. I don't know if it was all the way back to Grantland or he carried it over to uh, to the Ringer, but they would rank quarterbacks and they would they would basically rank them one through thirty two, starting quarterbacks in the league, and then they would find the line where they would say like, at what point is the guy that you think like you can win with this guy and everybody above this guy is like, yep, absolutely. I can win with you. 
And everybody below that line is like, you need to go out and get a better quarterback. And where that, who is that player, right? And so over the years, I think if I'm remembering correctly, and I'm sorry if I'm butchering this, but they would say like Andy Dalton, that's the guy. I can win with him, but anybody below Andy Dalton is not that guy. Uh, I think Derek Carr, your guy, Derek Carr, I think that they identified him a couple of years ago as like, here's my guy, Derek Carr. I think I can win with him. Anybody below that, though, I can't. And so what you're, I think what you're saying is you, you're trying to find at least that level of guy. You want at least that guy where you think, like, I can win with him because I have an amazing defense. And if I can get better than that, great. But I, I really can't afford to get worse than that. And now the problem is, in my opinion, Brian Pace provided Matt Nagy with two guys that I don't think can get above that line or be that line. And that, I think, is the problem. And that, I think, that is why a lot of Bears fans are sort of already looking towards the future in terms of the quarterback position. I certainly have not written this year off because I'm a big believer in defense. I think the defense can win football games. I think that this defense, as good as it is, with three absolute stud pass rushers, with good linebacker play, with excellent secondary play, like this can be a really fun defense that can get back to that 2018 dominance, maybe in a different way. Chuck Pagano in his second year as coordinator. And so I'm really counting on the defense to kind of rebound from what was kind of a down year in 2019. A lot of that was due to Akeem Hicks uh, getting injured and not having another pass rusher next to them. Now that is Hicks is healthy and Quinn's in the, in the, in the game. So We've got three guys with Mac that I think are going to terrorize people. And so this team could be a lot of fun to watch. So as a Bears fan, you have to, like, set your expectations. And that always starts with defense. Uh, I don't think that the offense probably is going to be a top five offense, a top ten offense. But, you know, can they do enough with the pieces that they have? Because they have some good wide receivers. Maybe you can get something out of Jimmy Graham. I'm not. I'm in love with that signing. Maybe uh, uh, Cole Komet can come in and do something that rookie tight ends don't normally do, which is be productive as a rookie. Um, but maybe he can be the exception of that, and he can come in and he can provide some quality snaps and, and move the football along. And so maybe there's a path to average, but a lot of things have to go right this year for that to be. But if that happens with an elite defense, this can still be a really fun year for us. And to build on that, I'll go ahead and just breathe some piping hot optimism into this conversation. I've focused on offense and have sounded like Johnny Raincloud this whole time because I think this defense is outstanding. You don't need Roquan Smith to become an all-pro. I've, I've watched a lot of Bears teams where people say stuff and – they're saying similar things about Trubisky, frankly, this year, where they say, if Trubisky turns into a 4,000-yard thrower, we're going to be great. And you don't need any of those when it comes to this defense. I'll wind you back all the way to the nasty, nasty year of 2019. Jeff, think about those first four games. Yes. Think about that defense ripping Aaron Rodgers a new one. Think about that defense beating the Vikings by themselves. Think about what that defense did to Washington. They they tore they ate them alive. I mean, it was I'll say it, it was better than some of the performances we even saw in 2018. Yeah, they and looked then, amazing. And then the bye happened, and uh, I don't know if you felt like what I felt, 
But while I know Hakeem Hicks was a huge loss, and I even picked the guy after 2018 as like my most valuable bear, so I need to make it clear, I love Hakeem Hicks. It also seemed like the Bears kind of met as coaches and decided that they just didn't have the offense to get the leads that they got in 2018, and they literally needed to change their defense's attitude. They couldn't go after guys anymore because other teams were going to capitalize on it. They needed to play it safe. And the defense just kind of looked like they started playing it safe. They didn't get a whole lot of turnovers. Nobody threw at Eddie Jackson all year. I mean, they just avoided it with everything that they could do. But all this to say that the defense had the pieces in 2019 to go after people. And then they added Robert Quinn. And then they added Jalen Johnson. And then they added a safety competition that seems to suggest Dion Bush could start. And that's over to Sean Gibson, who's not a bad player in and of himself. This defense is ready to go. It's ready to win. It could, you could put Tyler Bray out at quarterback and still come away from the first six games, two and two and four, maybe <laughs> three and three. I mean, it depends on how well the defense plays, but that's, I think why I'm so, so animated about this quarterback thing. It's because like you're saying, I'm not blind. Neither of these guys are franchise quarterbacks. They've never been franchise quarterbacks. Nobody's suggesting they're franchise quarterbacks. I, re- I recognize now that that can be construed as extremely negative towards Mr. Trubisky, but I think that's where we're at after 2019. So given that, Jeff, my question becomes, which archetype of quarterback would you then like to win with? Would you like to win with the hit-and-miss athlete, like the Josh Freeman type or Christian Ponder, or would you like to win with the game manager, offensive operator, the coach tries to make him look good guy? And when sure. I look at when I look at that question, I say to myself, Doug Peterson made Nick Foles look really good. Chip Kelly made Nick Foles look really good. The Jacksonville OC is actually Dave Filippo. Now that I think about it, he didn't look very good. And in St. Louis, with Jeff Fisher as the coach, who's offensive coordinator, I don't really remember. He didn't look very good. But if we're to learn anything about Matt Nagy, I think it would come in a year where Nick Foles gets actual games. Because I can't tell when Chase Daniels playing what the offense is supposed to be, I don't think I trust him enough. I can tell what it might be, maybe, but I don't know. When Mitch Trubisky's playing, I thought I knew in 2018, but things changed a lot in 2019, and a lot of basic reads got botched. I saw one in, uh, it's like the first play, if any fans with Game Pass, which I think it's still free. That might not be free anymore, but if you go back and watch that Washington game, besides the fact that all three touchdowns came or two of the three touchdowns came on beautiful play calls and wonderful fakes that were designed from an offensive perspective and weren't fabulous throws that first read of the game is an edge defender bearing down on Tariq Cohen with a bubble screen RPO sitting out on the right hand side and a potential zone read option and Trubisky picks the one that won't work handing it to Tariq Cohen who gets blasted for a loss of three this is before he was hurt I think that's important all this to say Given the two archetypes, I'm more drawn to the latter. We'll see if the former works. I hope it does. I hope the Bears win games. I will deal with the franchise thing later. I don't really care that much, you know? Bears go 11-5 and five with Mitch Trubisky as the quarterback. We will figure it out. It's playoff time. But given where we're at, given what I know, given that both were underwhelming in camp, it's just really weird to me that they went with the guy who given a player A and player B, one's on contract for three years, the other is not. I'm shocked we went with player B. 
<laughs> I think I think you actually are touching on a fundamental thing that I think is worth talking about. Probably should have been talked about in like the first two minutes. But, you know, we do this because we're football nerds and we are very interested in like all aspects of this game. You know, the X's and O's and learning about the specifics of the position. And I, you know, I dug into the Bears history. Like, I mean, I, we are nerdy. You're beautiful, people, beautiful right? set of podcasts on that, by the way. Thank you very much. Um, at the end of the day, when we are saying something that might sound negative, that is not what we think as fans. That does not carry over when we put on our navy and orange on Sunday mornings and cheer like everybody else. Like we are hardcore fans, but we also are learning about the game and how good teams are constructed and how good teams uh, put their players in positions to succeed and, and the, the career arcs of coaches and the career arcs of different players and how to value certain positions and how to, how to move maneuver in the draft, right? All of those things are interesting to learn about. And you see the, the people that are doing it well, and you want your franchise to do it well. And when they don't, and you call it out, it's not because you're this negative Nelly. It's because you want to, you want them to do better because you want more wins on Sundays. And that, and that to us is what this is all about. We want to have a lot of fun with you guys when we talk about uh, all the all the different types of things that we have discussed on podcasts and um, on the Windy City Gridiron Network. So that's where we're coming from. But we are right there with you on Sundays. We are hardcore fans, and you know all of this is like just we want the best outcome for this team. That's it. That's that's the end of the day here. There's there's no better way to phrase that in terms of this. This whole Mitch Trubisky conversation. I mean, for the last bunch of years. If there's another guy that comes along, if Trey Lance shows up and his first two years are really bad, we'll be saying the same thing. It won't be because we get some kind of a rise out of talking negatively about the Bears. I love this team. 12-4 and four was one of the funnest years I've had as a football fan ever. The double doink was backbreaking. But as I told a Giants guy, I straight up said to him, this is fine. Because next year, we're going to come back better. And that makes this worth it. That didn't happen. That really stunk. And I don't want to bottom out. Because I've seen this happen in Jacksonville with Blake Bortles. They committed to the wrong person. They bottomed out. I've seen, I believe, and I, I think this is actually pretty, um, pretty aggressive to talk this way. But I think that the Rams committed to somebody with a lower mental ceiling than I would like to see. And I worry that that's going to really come due when the bills need to get paid because their cap situation is tenuous as it is. I, I don't feel weird for the Saints to other teams like them, the Packers, because even though the Packers drafted Jordan Love, they have Aaron Rodgers. The Saints have Drew Brees. There's a point where you are, like the Patriots, allowed to start over. And everybody can say, you had your run, you did your best, you did a lot of great things. And the Bears didn't have that run yet. I kind of think they need 2020 to set the tone as a winning franchise, to set the tone as a competitive team, that one that's going to reward its players for doing the right things. And who knows? Maybe there were locker room tensions. Maybe, maybe there was pressure from on high. I have no idea. I don't have any confirmation Mitch Trubisky was worse. I'm totally speculating. But this decision got made for a reason. I hope Mitch Trubisky finishes the year. And I hope he plays his. I hope he plays his socks off. And because I'll, 
I'll make the plate of crow now. I will put it in the oven, and I'll just get ready to bake it. I hope he proves me wrong. I hope that my doubts end up being paranoia. I'm just worried that they're not. What's your final word on this? Uh, my final word is uh, extend Allen Robinson, and let's go play some football. Heck yeah. Week one starts this weekend. Uh, two quarterbacks that I've never heard of take, uh, take, take the pitch in a heated battle this Thursday, which should be fun. Maybe I'll figure out who one of them is uh, by the end of the game, but their names have been blacked out from my memory bank, and I wonder why. Uh-huh. Uh, but it should be great. Uh, we head to Detroit. Not we, but the Bears. Uh, and I can't wait to watch the Navy and Orange take the field, regardless of who's under center. Absolutely, Robert. Thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Jeff, for coming on. And Bears fans, that's about all I got for you today. As I said in the show, I can't wait for the Bears to play regardless of who is under center. And no matter how much I may doubt Mitch Trubisky, I certainly hope he proves me wrong. If you like what I have to say, feel free to follow me on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz. That's R-O-B-E-R-T. K-S-C-H-M-I-T-Z, and follow Jeff on Twitter at GridironBorn. I believe that's G-R-I-D-I-R-O-N-B-O-R-N. I'm hoping to have another video set and ready before the season starts, but we'll see how that goes. And until next time, Bears fans, bear down, and thanks so much for bearing with me.